you know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry has spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. You know what's awesome, Mike? We're in person. We're in person at the Zephyr Wellness Studio. We are. It's awesome. And... Um, good to see you it's good to have you here in town it's good to be manually toggling my own volumes here and i don't have to do post-production let this play out for a little bit it's our jam i really do like it i I do i like it (laughs) i'm gonna run up the volume again and one and two (laughs) and podcast here <laughs> we are such a bunch of clowns at this place. Oh, man. I'm glad you like music as much as I do. Um, <laughs> we can play around with this and have a little fun. And, you know, if you're listening and you're like, what are these guys doing? Suicide prevention and firearms and mental health. Like, they're, they're a bunch of goofballs. But really, like, we don't take ourselves very seriously. But we do take the work quite seriously. Yeah, and, indeed. And I think I think it's it's worth noting that you can do both, right? You can you can live in one culture of like goofballism and you know homebrew and like um, all this this thing that we do uh, aside, just having fun with our families and and also be very very concerned about people dying inappropriately, you know. And um, that's that's what we're what we're about. So Mike's up here in Reno, where I am, specifically Sparks, Nevada, where I live and where my office is. <laughs> this is for wellness, for wellness studio. Studio. If you guys could see this, it's uh, I've I've decorated the office with a bunch of these sound panels that are like twelve inch by twelve inch, uh, just you know Amazon purchase. And I stick them on the walls, and it looks like a professional recording studio, but it's anything but that. Um, but man, it's it's good to have you. Um, Staying at my house the last couple of days and, you know, hanging out with the family. My kids love you. And yesterday, uh, for, for the purpose that you're in town, we we did our uh, guns and mental health, you know, at the intersection of guns and mental health training, part one of a part uh, three-part series. And we did it at Reno Guns and Range. Rob Pincus is up here with us. Uh, he's currently training trainers of firearms and uh, personal defense instructors so um, he's he's down at Reno Guns and Range, but it it was a really good class. Yeah, it was a, an amazing class, and I'm really blown away by the attendance. Um, you know, for us to start off how we did, where it was at a range, Reno Guns and Range, right? And it was in person, yeah. and we Back had a year a year or more ago. So it was right. like July, I think, that we did this the very first one. And we should tell the audience if you're not familiar. We had this idea about training clinicians, like mental health clinicians, on the the the, the culture of, of gun owners and what it all entails. And it's not just a bunch of people who you know <laughs> fall asleep stroking the ARs in their beds or whatever. Um, but there's there's myriad activities that can go with this, and, and clinicians who deal with mental health issues need to understand gun culture. So it was a gun culture class, good for continuing education credit. The first one we did was. July of 2019, and we did another one in, like, November yep. 2019. Um, they were in person at Reno Guns, which is a huge supporter of ours. Yeah, and we had great attendance for those, for this being a new, far-out concept and only pretty much localized uh, to Nevada, right? Reno in particular and Sparks. Then we go online because the world ended. Right, right. Yeah, we, we actually had one scheduled for Vegas, but um, got canceled. And we had we had some people sign up, and then we had to yeah. Cancel it got canceled the week the world oh. went offline. <laughs> <laughs> the day like, the music died. Yeah, the day the music died. Like it, the, that's crazy 
But then you go, so when we said we can bring this thing online, I got to be honest, there was a little skepticism on my part because I was like, I don't know how we don't do this in a, in a range. Right, right. You know? Um, yeah, because that was a big part of it. We, we, so if you're listening, you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, what we did is we, t- we took these clinicians. There were like 12 or 14 of them, the first two classes. And um, part one was introduction, basics of firearms, that kind of thing. And we pretended that nobody knew anything about firearms. And then we put them on the line. You know, and we took them to the range, and they took turns firing, and then we did a debrief at the end. And so it was a three-hour class, and and we we did that twice, and we thought it was very successful, and we were going to do the next one in Las Vegas for for more clinicians. Um, and they get the CEUs. They they too they do. So so CEUs is continuing education unit or continuing education credit. If you want to renew your license and continue practicing as a as a clinician, you have to hit these these marks in your profession you know there's there's ethics and there's cultural competencies and you know what, whatever you're going to learn through the course of the year in order to renew your license to prove that you're competent right to, to practice well we filled that gap with this class and and it was valid for multiple licensing boards social workers marriage and family therapists psychologists alcohol and drug counselors and uh and unfortunately that class got canceled which leads us to what mike's about to say right so going online i never would have you never would have guessed that it would be as popular as it was. First class had 71 people, right? Um, I was impressed by that, very happy. Second class, which was yesterday's class, mm-hmm. goes, we jumped to 236 or 238, whatever the yeah. number landed on. It's like three times as many as the Right, last one. so it's growing. Um, and why that this is so important for me is I'm considered the ungun gun guy, but because of, of being the ungun gun guy, I get to watch a lot of behavior, a lot of things that people say, like when it comes to firearms and a two A culture, gun culture. And one of the things that I've heard from day one when I came into the industry, basically in '98, was nobody understands us. If people would just take the time to understand gun people, then we'd be good. If lawmakers and Doctors and everybody just just hung out with us and understood the culture. We'd be good because they'd understand. We'd educate them, and we created that. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm telling you, man, I wouldn't even have to go ask for money for Walk Talk America if I had a dollar for every time I heard it. Right. Um, and you know, here we are in 2020, the craziest year of ever ever as far as we know because we've been walking the planet for 40 years right I, and, <laughs> so and that represents humanity and i did it like I, I i didn't do it but like i i made this happen with the help of the whole team i like they always said that if they just understood us you see what i'm saying like yeah. no you 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 should not back away from that and this is me putting my like clinical hat on but also my friend hat like don't undersell the fact that you Herculean lifted up this uh, this effort, um, sacrificed a ton, um, sold sold off your portion of your own company to focus exclusively on saving lives, and and it's not appreciate to be it. understated that I don't know how many people in the world can really like appreciate how much it takes to leave safety and security, personal income steady Eddie, you know, keep doing what you're doing and you're, you're going to pay your bills and retire happy to go into a new endeavor with no guarantees of an outcome. And we're, we're kind of still in that place where we're like, well, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, but now we're, we're, it's bearing fruit. Right. And that's awesome. Like we, we had, we tripled the attendance of the, the first online uh, uh, course that we offered and we were skittish about that because we weren't sure if it would translate well there's a big part of it is Rob's part where he's talking about the the mechanics of firearms and how to how to understand not only the culture of what goes into firearms with regard to hobbies and and activities and personal defense and advocacy and legitimacy but also the mechanics of the firearms themselves so that if you're in a, a in a situation where you're Having to talk to a, a suicidal person who's got a firearm, you can reasonably say, "Hey, you know, take your finger off the trigger, um, you know, uh, release the magazine. Um, what can you do other than you know, point it at yourself? Can you point it in a safe direction?" Um, that really, really empowered people, and we weren't sure it would translate in an online capacity. 
And it turns out it actually translates probably better because one of right. the things one of the things we we wrestled with between March <laughs> when the world ended and the launch of the first class online in October was maybe the gun range itself was an obstacle to attendance simply because the clinicians who are skittish about firearms don't necessarily want to walk into a gun store you know, or a range. Right. You know, what, what if it's what if it's more comfortable if they just do it from their own living room and just like observe? Dip what your we toe have to in, and then maybe the next step is to get them. And that's what the ultimate goal is. One yeah. of the things that it was super interesting to me is, is for those of you who are listening, when you and, and if you haven't done a Zoom conference because we can't assume everybody has, but I feel like everybody has at some point at this point, at yeah. this point right? But I couldn't see anybody. So yeah. w- when I'm doing my part. I'm talking to a screen that has a slide on it. And what was really cool is what you could see in the chat. Yep. There was one moment where somebody, you know, some professional mental health professional said, I love this course. This is amazing. Like even those little things yeah. that, cause you know, you're, you're speaking to somebody that, that they're like, wow, I, I never would have guessed it. If it's like this. And then please, we got to talk about that, that, email that we will yeah that yeah but it's like that's the type of response that makes me do this right because people are like oh these gun guys yeah they are pretty cool like i love the way that this was taught to me you know what i mean like the way that they talk about it the way i talked about my upbringing and and being thrown into the firearms industry with no training whatsoever and everyone assumed that because i had this in my family okay he knows what he's doing And then me kind of being too embarrassed to just be like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing and having to fake my way through it. The anxiety, you know, I, things that they can relate to people can relate to. You know, I even had one uh, person email me after when I told the story about Bill and I said, I was with Bill for the last couple months of his, of his life before he took his own life with a firearm. And he showed zero signs that something was wrong. Um, that spoke to somebody who was taking the class because, you know, it's little things like that. Yeah. I want to, I want to rewind this just a little bit because if you're new to this and you're listening to us talk about it and you're like, Oh, I'm sort of interested and I'm, I'm passively going to listen to this in my car while I'm mowing the lawn or whatever. Um, what Mike's referencing is that, um, he came from a family that was obviously, retailing you're wholesaling you're you're importing and then and then wholesaling firearms Um, but the presumption was that mike as the brand manager of eagle imports knew stuff about guns and he shot guns and he went out and did this thing And, and then his testimony is that no actually the first time that i was thrust into this i didn't actually know what i was talking about i knew the product but i didn't know the the culture of the people buying the product and that, and that I think connects really well with mental health clinicians who are like, I don't know what this gun stuff is. I don't own guns or maybe I, I had one once or, uh, you know, I brushed up against it at one point. Um, they're nervous and skittish. And, and for you to bring that home and connect and say, yeah, I was also nervous and skittish about it because I also wasn't a gun guy, even though I was in the industry, I think really resonates with a lot of people. And the other thing is, when you talk about that email, and I, I really want you to, to dive into that a little bit, um, you shared a really personal story, and you do this every time you talk, about how a person very close to you took his own life with a firearm, who was the head of a firearms importing company, and you never saw any signs. And that, and that, that flies in the face of the, the concept that you know, suicide is uh, preventable and predictable, and we can always see the signs. And it was like, and you said something earlier today when we were just driving around that it's almost like there's there's like a glowing red dot on their forehead that says, "Want, want, want, look at me, pay attention to me." But that's not always true, and and I think that's worth kind of dissecting and and exploring because it blows up a lot of mythology, not about not just about gun owners presuming things. And, you know, if you're associated with gun culture, you must know everything about it. But also like if you're associated with suicide prevention, you must know everything about suicide prevention. And it turns out it takes different shapes and forms. And 
I think that's one of the best parts of the class is your personal testimony. There's the technical aspects of like throwing out suicide stats and all that stuff. Um, but when you, when you bring it home with personal testimony and pain, it really, really invites people in to, to take it seriously and, and, and maybe admit, I don't know everything. Yeah, that, that, potentially. I was kind of blown, like to me, so she sent an email privately to me and said, hey, that story you just told like really resonates with me. And she had written an article in the new, that was in the New York Times uh, that basically said, she, you know, sometimes you miss, sometimes you miss it. Sometimes it's yeah. not there. And she said that she got a lot of backlash for that, which right. that kind of blew me away too, because these are things that I, I just tell the story as is. Right. I don't think you don't know. Yeah. I'm not like, oh, this is going to maybe upset somebody or this is going to speak to somebody. But for me, it, it is what it is. And I, I tell the story in the class. I had to I had to bury my friend. Everybody wanted to know what happened. I was with him for over two months traveling, almost like husband and wife. Sometimes we'd have to split a room. Yeah. Um, you know, he makes all these plans with me and gets mad that I haven't made my plans yet for the future with him on for these business trips that we're supposed to go on. And every one of our business trips was always business, and then we had some fun, right? So we always knew where we were going. We were going to hit a concert. We're going to do this. And he was he was kind of scolding me, <laughs> saying like, "Man, you're 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 waiting too long. Get get this stuff." And then he he does the most horrific thing, very tragic. And takes his life. And to me, I'm trying to bury my friend. I'm trying not to disappoint his family members because they're all asking me what what happened. And then I have to tell them there was nothing. There was no signs. There was nothing. Trust me. Like, there was nothing. I think about it all the time. And then I got to deal with them pulling me aside secretly, thinking that I'm withholding information just not to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and that and that sucks because it it invites a kind of a personal shame where you're like, should I have known something? What did I miss? And and it and if you're living in a culture that says suicide is preventable, it implies that someone somewhere could have intervened at some point. It's like maybe not. Like maybe maybe you just didn't know. Maybe maybe there were no signs. That's I mean, and and we we kind of hit this. On uh, during the class, but that's where I the cause of pause. You know, like uh, you know, I I know that we we advertise cause of pause as something for our gun safes, where we put pictures of our loved ones on a gun safe. Um, but it could be anything, right? Just something. It could be something on your wrist, a tattoo, something that reminds you that there's something to live for. Um, but clearly, he didn't see it. I didn't have an opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> nobody did, and. Um, you know, you replay all those things, you're right. I mean, you feel guilty because you can't give somebody some peace. I mean, I could I could have lied. I'm not going to do that, right? Um, well, we all want certainty in in Western society. We want we want guarantees and outcomes and predictabilities. But then when something happens that we don't predict or we, we can't control, we want answers. Right. And sometimes there's there aren't any answers because the person who uh, killed himself is gone and we can't ask them and that and that sucks and for the survivors it's hard to say i don't have the answers and you're just gonna have to make peace with not knowing and you know and that's where like you know the mental health professionals come in and they're like we, we can train you how to make peace with that and so forth but in the moment it's really quite a struggle and i think that your ability to speak to that as somebody from the gun community who um, doesn't have all the answers and dealt with tragedy and still is struggling to understand the, the quote-unquote why of it can say, hey, man, like, we, we will never know why, but what we can do is start to push a message out that says it's okay to ask for help, and that's the point of the class. So there's there's two sides to this class. One is... We want to train up clinicians on how to speak competently to firearms owners. And that could be, you know, the, the hobbyist all the way to the law enforcement professional who's required to carry a firearm for a living. Um, but also the flip side of that is 
the firearms owners who are a little sketched out about counseling and like what it means to go in and like acknowledge that you need to be vulnerable to address your demons and say, it's okay. Like these, these people aren't gun grabbers. They're not, they're not going to pick up the bat phone to the government and steal your guns or whatever. And that's what, that's what our class attempts to accomplish. We hope we can do it. But man, like we we didn't know that there were that many curious people out there. It and it was it was so cool to see, not just uh, yeah we're in Nevada and we got probably I don't know fifty or sixty percent. We'll we'll see afterward. Fifty or sixty percent of the people are probably from Nevada as we're like just rapidly trying to monitor who's chiming in where they're from on the chat. But gosh, they were they were coming from like. Texas. All over the all over the country, North Carolina, New Jersey, Georgia, New Jersey, and, and, and you know Montana and and um, and Idaho, and it was like, wow, we're actually starting to reach people. This is neat. Yeah, it's uh, neat. it's special, and this is exactly you know what I said earlier. You know, to be in this industry as long as I have, um, and now seeing something, you know, if they only understood us, right? Well, the they is the people that could save. The us, because when we're in crisis, we need to go to them yep. to get the help we need without fear of consequence and loss of rights. So we're getting the most important people to understand us. The next ones will be the lawmakers, correct? I mean, we, yeah, and and I think that we. So I, I get to straddle both uh, quote unquote sides of this, and I, I, you and I have talked about this plenty, and Rob has too. It's like there shouldn't be sides. This is. This is people's personal well-being, and, and there shouldn't be politics, and they, and we don't we don't want to take up sides, and there shouldn't be an us versus them, um, and so if we can if we can, but there is right. So right. so if we can if we can pull those those two sides together, how, however we feel about it, it's the reality that there are sides, and there are there is judgment, and even in my profession, there's a ton of judgment about what guns mean and, and, and the media portrayal of them and, and all that stuff. And if we can pull these sides together into the middle so that there is no us versus them and that, um, at bare minimum, even if there remains that us versus them, we quote unquote, whoever we are can reach out to them and make it a warm, welcoming environment to invite whoever it is on the other side in so that we heal people and we no longer have to have people in crisis and you know uh, threatening acts of violence upon self or others. Um, then we've done our jobs. We're, we're doing it. And one of the really impactful well, there, there were several impactful comments and emails that came through. But one of them was uh, one of my own colleagues said to to us and to to, to some other people is like, hey, you know, I, I came in thinking that I was open minded. But I had my own skepticism, and it turns out uh, it was one of the most beneficial, um, informed, uh, instructive classes I've ever taken in my 10-plus years of doing this. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. I mean, when I saw that, it made made me feel really good about what we're doing. And regardless of if this thing works out or not, because I can't keep working for free forever. No, right? you can't. <laughs> we, need, it, we need money. Like, yeah. if you're listening and you're like, this sounds great. I've been following you guys for a while. Like, please, please, please donate money, but also in, encourage other people to yeah. do it. If you, if you know any firearms companies in the industry or you have relationships with anybody there, um, you know, please name drop. You know, tell, tell, them, tell them about us because uh, I've done this two years. <laughs> you know, I... I want to continue to do it. I see the reaction. I, I've, I've figured out a way to to make it this far, uh, you know, on my savings from selling my company. But regardless of how this turns out, we did it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we did something really unique, and I think it's it's historical because there was nothing out there like what we do. I mean, even today, I'm proud of the NSSF for throwing a course for mm-hmm. um, gun store owners. And, and gun store employees to help them identify signs of suicide and what to do after you have those tragic accidents on your range. Um, but once again, that's staying in the echo chamber, which I, it's important. You know, I, I would yeah. say that we need all of these things. But we, we found a way to cross the aisle 
and get there. And now we're doing things like working with the governor's challenge and the mayor's challenge of Nevada. We're working on them uh, re-examining and taking another look at these laws, the transfer laws, the language. Um, and the next step for me is to get them to understand that these red flag laws are, are pointless. But we're going to get there without a war. And we're going to get there without having to bully anybody or use lawyers. And that's what I love, you know, communication. We prefer deference to autonomy. Autonomy is one of our five ethical precepts of the counseling profession that says, I honor your ability to choose for yourself. And to, to illustrate that, one of our struggles as, as um, you know, mental health practitioners is when we're dealing with somebody who's you know an adult and autonomous in their own decision-making legally, we, we don't get to tell them, you know, hey, leave the son of a bitch who's beating you. We don't, we don't do that. We, we say, hey, here's some pluses and minuses of what you're doing and what are your personal values and ethics and what do you want to achieve in life. And you know, we, we help people lead to their own conclusions. Um, similarly, we don't want to thump people about the head and shoulders with what we think they should be doing. And a big part of that is the ability to let go of needing to control outcomes and one of those outcomes is I might not be able to tell you that you have to do such and such to save your own life, to prevent sadness and trauma and tragedy to, to the people in your life. Um, and I'm willing to relinquish control to do that. So what we're trying to do with Walk Talk America is invite people in. Not tell them what to do. We're inviting people in. Like, hey, we have something to offer. We'll teach you stuff. And with that education, we hope that you take it forward and then make adjustments, you know, moving forward to prevent a lot of this uh, uh, unnecessary trauma in, in one's own life. So your appeal to firearms manufacturers, whether they be uh, parts manufacturers or actual, you know, firearms manufacturers or ammunition or whatever it is, is to say, Look, we we're in this. Um, we're we're making money. We're we're helping people defend themselves. Um, we're helping to to support an ongoing uh, you know concept of of personal you know defense, like I mentioned, but also recreation and hobbying and collecting and and all that stuff. And simultaneously acknowledge that with that comes risk, and we're not going to try to control the risk. What we're trying to do is push as much education in as possible so that people make responsible decisions about how they go about doing their hobbying, their collecting, their target shooting, their hunting, their, their, um, their, their personal defense, such that they prevent unauthorized access to things that can cause harm to self or others. Um, and, and uh, clearly it's working because there's, there's clear interest. And I think, I think if I may be so bold, Walk the Talk America has has legitimately branded itself as the bridge between the two cultures. Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. I I I think. Well, let's just take that email for example. There was one section of the email when you showed it to me where the gentleman said, basically he he had never even thought about talking about safety. And reframing it as responsibility, right? When talking to his clients, mm -hmm. um, talking about you know, I, I say something in the class where I train just as hard with my firearm. This is I actually probably train more now with my safes than I do with my actual firearms because being out of the industry, I don't I don't shoot as much as I used to or used to have to. But you know, training every day, having my fingers on the pads, just muscle memory, pushing the buttons. I can, I can retrieve my firearm from any safe in my house so fast. Um, I could do it in the dark. I, w I wish Rob were here because he, he's a big advocate of this. And, uh, you know, Rob, Rob's across town right now training, training people on how to, you know, do things better. Um, but one of the things he stands on is um, if ISIS kicks in your door at 3 a.m., <laughs> you don't need the gun under the pillow. You need it in a, a safe that you've practiced with enough so that you can access it just as quickly as if it's under your pillow or in the nightstand or whatever. And if it's in that safe that your children, for example, or your angsty teenager who's depressed doesn't 
have the access to get into, then everyone is safe and you can still respond to the threat when the, the door gets kicked in or the, the window gets broken or whatever it is. Um, we, we can do both. And that's one, one thing in my, my profession where we say, don't go binary. It's not either or. It's not black or white. It's both and. Right. You, you can both be safe and defensive simultaneously. Yeah. So think about this for everybody who's listening. Now you have this clinician who is, is reframed the way he thinks about firearms when he talks to a client. So he knows now that a lot of firearms owners are some of the safest people on the planet. And a lot of firearms owners absolutely shut down when you hear, oh, are you safe with your gun? Because they understand things like trigger discipline and not muzzle flashing and everything like that. But instead now he's going to have a conversation about, you know, you have kids in the house or, you're, you, you know, thing, you're in crisis or your wife's in crisis or something. You know, maybe have you thought about the way you train with locking up your firearm? It's a totally different thing. It's not be safe. I don't even know what that means. When yeah, I'm saying that's a to very you. nebulous concept, and <laughs> and the and the definition floats. Yeah, yeah. So so we don't we don't want our mental health practitioners to continue using a, a word that is variable in its definition. We want to tell them you know replace that word with responsibility. So oh yeah, I'm a responsible gun owner. All right, well so let's define responsibility. What does that entail? Um, who has access to it, and, you know, and how do we how do we deny access to people who should not have access? Whether they're in a mental health crisis or they're they're uh, a bad guy who breaks into your house and burgles you, um, how do they how how do we prevent them from getting it? I think most people have the idea that like, oh, my guns are in the safe, it's fine. Yeah, but if your kids have the code because you think your fourteen year old who took the hunter safety class. Uh, is responsible with guns. Well, what if what if his girlfriend dumps him, or he doesn't make the JV baseball team, or whatever, and he slides into a depression, or he gets, he's getting bullied, you know, online or in person or whatever, and it's you know, suicide seems like a an escapable path, and it is. Like I'll acknowledge that. Yeah, if if you're in pain and you want to get out of pain and you don't see any other way out, death seems reasonable. Um, maybe we don't give access to to children. Maybe we don't give access to the people who um, shouldn't have it at the time. So if that's a husband or a wife who's trying to protect their spouse uh, because they slip into a, a bad way because they lost their job or uh, got you know popped with a DUI, uh, like like Bill, like that that's a super touching story that you that you share. Maybe maybe it's time to to normalize the conversation and say, listen. Um, I know you're a gun owner. I know I'm a gun owner. Um, we, we need to look out for each other and we need to have a little network of, of ourselves as small though. It may be three to five people, maybe in a community where we can all rely on each other and say, I'm in a bad way right now. Can you, can you help me out? And my, you know, just, just take my guns from me for a minute or we'll pass the code off with a, with an electronic safe or whatever. That's what we're trying to move. We're, we're trying to, trying to push people toward, normalcy it's a normal conversation to say I'm, I'm struggling right now and i don't want to be tempted right it's super important for me to reach people that don't understand us and that's just that's that's the most important thing because those are the people that will vote for those laws of restriction that make no sense even if they don't hate guns right right if they don't understand they're going to simply just vote for things that don't make sense like i remember uh on the you know, I think it was 2016, I had a friend who voted and he came back to me afterwards and he said, Hey, I voted for this, this law. And it was on the transfer thing. Mm -hmm. And he said, I voted no, because I don't think people should just be able to hand their guns to other people. Right. And he, he did it coming from a good place. Cause I think he thought worst case scenario when he read that question. So he, he thought, gangbanger throwing it to another gangbanger or something like that. Right. Like he didn't think about like a time of crisis of somebody or, you know, ownership, like he thought of the worst. And, and so when I had to correct him on like why he shouldn't have voted that way or like just open his mind to it, he was like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. But see, this is the thing. Like if we continue to not educate or we just say we want to educate people, but we really don't or figure out a way to 
meet them where they're at. Not necessarily because like if you just say, okay, I'm throwing a gun education class for anyone who's curious. Yeah, people might not show up, but you find a way to do it. We found a way to do it. We found that you went out and said we could get these CEUs that give some people uh, an enticement to check mm-hmm. it out, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm not going to lie. That's important. Yeah. Um, and you get them to, to show up. You know, that I think is the most incredible thing about what, what we're doing here is we're getting the people that don't like it or are neutral to just go, I want to check that out. There's a lot of ignorance, I think, and, and I don't say that word uh, pejoratively. I'm, I'm not condescending people. It's just ignorance, uh, you know, broken out. It, it comes from Greek. Gnosis uh, is the GN of the ignorance. It's, it's simply a lack of knowledge. That's all it is. And so we want to be very neutral in, in the analysis of what, what being ignorant is. And, it, and education is the way to do that. What you don't do is you don't tell people, I know what's best for you, and so therefore I'm going to put these uh, laws, rules, restrictions in place because I know what's best for you, and you don't. What we do is we empower people with information, and then they get to go out and make the best decision possible for them. And I think that freaks a lot of people out, especially in a you know Western culture where we're driven by certainty and, and outcomes and predictability. We want to be able to control the things that are scary to us, and and self death is scary. And the more we can say, Hey, you know what? Acknowledge your fear. Um, and at the same time, how do we, how do we ameliorate that? It's not, it's not through putting it, put you in bubble wrap and sticking you in the corner, uh, to, to keep you quote unquote safe, whatever my definition of safe is. Uh, it's, it's to give you as much information as possible so you can make the determination. Now, the problem with that is that we have to tolerate, the distress if somebody bucks that information and does whatever horrible thing it is anyway. And right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and there's, you know, there's this COVID thing floating around and there's mask wearing and lockdowns and restrictions and blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't have a lot of knowledge. There's not a lot of gnosis if, if you take the Greek term. So instead, what do we, we retreat to? We retreat to what we can control and what we can reasonably predict and that's like well what can we do we we can we can send people their homes we can shut down bars and and all that stuff and and restaurants and restrict activities because we believe that that's the right thing to do well what if what if you just gave a ton of information to people and let them make make their own decisions and i think what that ultimately boils down to is our ability or inability to tolerate somebody else making what we believe is the wrong decision and then living with that through the the principle of autonomy, I don't I don't, I don't really get to tromp on somebody's autonomy. Uh, I've I've said frequently that you know in counseling we have the the five ethical precepts of counseling, which is autonomy. <laughs> excuse me, as I die on my own spittle. Um, Auton probably COVID. Wreck um, <laughs> the podcast before. <laughs> but uh, you know you got autonomy, justice. Which is like, you know, do the right thing, advocate, act on behalf of somebody else. Fidelity, faithfulness to uh, whatever agreement we've entered into. And, and in counseling, it's the, the written agreement, the signature of the consent to treat. Um, non-maleficence, don't hurt anybody. Beneficence, help somebody. Um, and then uh, and, and if we balance those those five principles... Autonomy, justice, non-maleficence, beneficence, and fidelity, they're all in harmony. But if we start to elevate one over the others, we're in, invariably stepping on something else. So if we if we elevate justice, for example, and we say, we're going to do the right thing, we're going to act on somebody else's behalf, we're going to advocate, and advocacy looks like uh, legislation and policymaking, and we're going to, we're going to, Tell people how to live because we believe we're doing the right thing. Well, you're invariably stepping on autonomy, so it's a it's a violation when the other the other five ethical principles. You may be causing harm, which is violating the ethical principle of non maleficence. And although you may be doing what you think is the right thing and helping someone, you may actually not be, because maybe helping them is informing them 
to make their own decision. Of course, that that begets autonomy. And if you're not good at like embracing the the uh, the 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 discomfort of of mystery of not knowing what's going to happen, well, what are you going to retreat to? Controlling behavior because we we all like control. So I'm a big advocate of of telling people let go of thinking they can control everything. Don't make what Christian Conti calls the error of omnipotence, thinking that you're you're in charge of somebody else's behavioral decisions and be at peace that when tragedy happens, you can move forward. It's not, it's not an either or, uh, you know, back to the binary thing of like either tragedy happens and we're all distraught or we protect everybody and keep them safe. Uh, because ultimately it's, it's I have, am the person who's making that decision. Well, what about the other person who they're entitled to a decision too? You know, mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> it's it's true. Um, you know, that's the thing that we have to understand too about. You know, I relate that to the firearms community because we're big on our privacy. We're big on mm-hmm. don't tell me what to do. We're big on, and then sometimes we throw that right out the window. So it's it's really an interesting. What, what do you mean by that? Well, it, I see it a lot when they pick a side. Uh, when it comes to like a shooting or something, you know what I mean? Or when it comes to a certain subject, uh, Maj is a big one that kind of advocates. He always points Maj out. Torrey. Yeah, Maj Torrey always points out the hypocrisy sometimes within the firearms community when there's a moment um, where, wait, we forgot about our liberty and we forgot mm-hmm. about this. or You know what I mean? Like, right. And I feel like we make that judgment. I'm trying to think of an example right now that comes to mind that everyone could relate to, but I can't. But I see, I've see i seen it a lot in shootings. I've seen it a lot when it comes to riots. I've seen it a lot when it comes to certain things where it's almost like they'll actually, you know, you'll see people say like, oh, now you're, now you're a bootlicker or something like that, right, you right. know, um, picking a side. I don't know. It's, it, it's a very complex community. Uh, very complicated sometimes in the, in the thinking and and whatnot, and I think that that's what's hurt sometimes crossing over to a broader base. <clears throat> um, but once again, that's why we do what we do. Um, well, yeah. we just want dialogue, and and with dialogue comes information. And you know, I, I'm looking at the whiteboard over your shoulder there that um, the audience can't see, but I've I've got up there the the ten emotions that I teach regularly in the emotional wave where there's a beginning, a middle and an end. And, and in the brain, uh, emotion and logic don't happen simultaneously. You, you're either in emotion or you're in logic. And, and that's not to say that one is suppressed all the time if you're in the other. But the point is that if you're emotionally flared by some tragic occurrence, the tendency is to reflexively act out of that emotion and we don't want to act out of emotion because often that's what results in regrettable decision making if you if you've ever been in an emotional state and you you make a decision you know like oh, i'm pissed off i'm gonna go fight this guy and then you end up in handcuffs with charges you didn't act out of reason and logic you acted out of emotion what we want to do is we want to validate the emotion we want to quell that and say no i'm not, all right this, this thing happened it created emotional uh, response in my, in my brain, in my body. Um, but if I can tolerate that now, what do I do? Um, especially if, if you're talking about systemic change, we we, we have lots of repulsive things that are systemic in nature and they're not going to be solved by emotional reactivity. Emotion can be the thing that propels us forward to make change, but in an instant, um, maybe fighting the guy at the bar who, you know, quote unquote, pissed you off isn't the answer. Maybe the answer is knocking down your own anger, knocking down your own fear, picking up the phone, calling the police and letting the police handle the, the rowdy guy at the bar instead of you taking it in your own hands. So similarly with, you know, a shooting, which can be very emotionally uh, re- activating, not reactivating, activating, you say, ah, the first thing we need to do is, is ban all guns. Like well, yeah, but but let's consider the other principles to this. There, there's uh, there's autonomy. There's there's uh, there's non maleficence. And if we don't want to hurt anybody, if we ban all guns, we're we might invariably or inevitably hurt somebody who needs the gun for defense. And we didn't ask them. Right. We we acted on their behalf. And how how arrogant is that to say that 
I know what's best for you for my lens, for my perch. Yeah, we do that with our children, and it makes sense, right? Because they're not in that. They're not developed. They're not developed, right. And then you think, we do it to adults, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and, and with adults, um, you know, on a one-off where you go, ah, involuntary psychiatric hold because you're, you're so dysregulated that nothing can penetrate your, your logic brain, uh, we get we got to compel you into some treatment facility to help regulate that, and then we can bring you out and you'll be, you know, healed or whatever. Um, but when we make broad sweeping change that's not a one-off individual instance, what we're doing is we're we're making this blanket statement across all populations, and that blanket statement may not be best for all the individuals that fall under that that blanket, and that's really frightening. And that's what ended up happening with our red flag and transfer laws. Is we say, well, we think we're doing the right thing by restricting gun access to people who are in crisis who may cause harm to self or others, um, but did we bother to give enough time? Did we bother to analyze it through through a clinical lens? Did we did we invite in the clinicians who may be able to assess and determine? Did we did we give enough time to say you know it's let's give it a weekend? You know, like the person just lost his job and he's drinking, he's threatening all these things, but maybe it'll blow over. But if we, if we panic and we react out of emotional reflexivity and and we're acting out of our limbic brain and we go ah call the cops, he's suicidal, take his guns away. Well, now we, you know, red flag laws have have a really ridiculous path to rights restoration, even though the path to rights restriction is really short and simple. Um, now we potentially compromise that person to be able to defend themselves in a in a in another situation. And oh, by the way, if those firearms are that person's livelihood, if you're a law enforcement officer, or it's a big component of their their hobbying, like if you're retired military and you love shooting in the desert, um, then you, what you've done is you've you've added a reason why they shouldn't stay alive because you took away something that was very precious to them, a hobby, a career, um, and so forth. And you go, great, great, we took the guns away. He's safe now. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. Now you just gave me another reason that I shouldn't live. And he hangs himself. It's right. like, are, are we really helping here? Are we really being beneficent? I don't, I don't think that we are. Yeah, I don't think so either. And this is, you know, not to beat this again. I'm going to go back there, though. Firearms industry companies, if you don't start thinking out of the box or doing it first, people are going to come in with laws to try to do it for you. So I've been beating this drum for two years now, over two years, that we got to come up with innovative ways and offerings that we can show, like, the mental health community, hey, like, we're doing this. And they're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I never even thought about that, right? We have totally failed on that and just expected our organizations like 2AO just to sit out there and fight some fight, you know, in a courtroom. Um, We don't have to necessarily have a war or go to court. We need those people on those lines, yes. But in the same time, Every gun manufacturer, every ammo manufacturer could be working with us to find cool and innovative ways to get people the help help they need in crisis, right? Um, Arms Corps, they get it. High Point, they get it. They, they, they put the card in the box and they can stand on top you know, of their little mountain and beat their chest about it because they do that. They care. So no one can say they don't care. Um, Arms Corps is a huge supporter of ours. I'm, I'm doing the commercial live. I'm doing the commercial live. Do it live. (laughs) No, but they are a huge supporter of us. And, you know, they they back us. They help us. They they get way more than putting the card in the box. Um, We had uh, Steinle Ammo uh, contact us and say, we want to put this this card in the box. Right? Put it on the the box. Right. Print it on the box. Put it in your catalogs, right? The, The free and anonymous mental health screenings. Um, safe companies. That's one, you know, gun vault was there. They went through bankruptcy. Hopefully they're going to come back and, and do the project that we were working on with them. But other safe companies should be contacting us about 
the safe idea that we had, right? Because every safe company should be doing that, creating a way that people can police their own with that safe in the house, you know, shutting down the safe uh, for a period of one day to two months if you have to, where no one can get in, right, um, when they're in a time of crisis. I had a, a Voltec. Um, I'm just going to throw them under the bus because they don't <laughs> care. Uh, I, I went, I contacted them after it fell through with gun vault because of the, the bankruptcy and, and pitched that idea. They said, what do you want? I said, I don't want anything. I just want you to do it. And then I want you to stand with me. We can take this into the mental health world, get everybody behind it. And you know what the guy said to me? We have a hard enough time getting gun people to actually use technology. I'm like, dude, this ain't about technology, man. This is about saving people's lives. That's what the dude from vault said. That's crazy. But he's not even th- he's not even looking down the field. Right. Like, if this happens, if guns go, you know, if the, the laws get so strict and, you know, either somebody's lying or, you know, it, it's going to happen because we're, we're losing our boy, you know, mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, right. let's not, not kid ourselves. Um, and he's not even an issue to me. It's it's all the other, you know, what we learned from this pandemic is that governors have a lot of power, right? <laughs> more right. power than we know. They can tell the president to go F himself. Um, you know, we're going to see restrictions, but we could become like the, the alcohol industry with DUIs if we just start making a move ourselves and just cutting it off. So like when I see a company like vault just absolutely piss on an idea and then try to tell me that, we don't want technology. It's hard enough to get people to use technology. Yeah. You know, it's, this is not about technology. It's about saving lives. To, to me, it's, it, it's really, uh, it's, it's analogous to my own profession where we, we reject new innovative ways to help people because they don't fit with our orthodoxy. And, you know, my profession, orthodoxy is, only take what's prescribed to you over the counter, right? Uh, screw MDMA, screw psilocybin, screw ketamine. Uh, that that doesn't fit with us because a lot of us are fighting you know, drug addiction, blah blah blah. Uh, and and we've we've sucked into the narrative low these many years that says uh, drugs are bad unless the FDA approves them. All right, are we going to wait for that, or are we going to stand on what we know is right and do the right thing? There's an opportunity here for for the firearms industry to get out in front and, and say, we're going to take action upon all the firearm suicides that are, that are happening by offering, not compelling, but offering people an avenue to help through our own innovative ideas without compulsion. And if you don't do it, to your point, government will make you do it. Uh, political or otherwise, somebody somebody looks at the data and they go, holy cow, we've got a lot of people dying by, by guns, whether it's suicides or this, the, the perceived infinitesimal statistical anecdote of you know mass shootings, which we all know is, is an outlier. But they're going to say, people are dying by firearms, we're going to make you be safer. Do you, do you want it to come from the top or do you want it to come from within? You can sustain your industry if you do it from within. You're not going to sustain your industry if it comes from without. Outside force is going to be way worse than what you could do voluntarily. And when that, it's not an if, it's a when, when that outside force comes in and says, we, we are now compelling you to blah, blah, blah with your blah, blah, blah. The firearms industry can say, we're already doing blah, blah, blah with blah, blah, blah. Look at what we're doing. And so the resistance to me doesn't make any sense. The resistance to ideas doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but again, you know, you and I are thinking out of the box. So may- maybe this is just us preaching from our soapbox saying, how can you not understand this? We don't, we don't get it because we're doing it. Maybe our, our job now is to, to warmly welcome these people in the same way that we don't want to uh, thump on the you know on the on the Bible of you know Second Amendment rights, and and instead say hey look look we understand the Bible is over there and we 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 agree with all that stuff. If you want to you want to you want to keep studying the Bible of Second Amendment, um, you need to you need to start advertising that you're you're doing something that advocates to make it 
right. And you can advocate and value personal choice at the same time with education and training and advertisement um, and, and you do it from within. So if, if you go to, you know, Ruger and, and Smith and Wesson and Glock and Beretta and all these major manufacturers that have tons and tons of money, which by the way, have made record profits this year, historical record profits. Um, and you go, Hey, why don't you, why don't you flip a little money to, um, keeping people sound and safe. And, and I understand we already covered the safe aspect and you know how that, that word changes, but say, look, we're gonna we're gonna invite you to do this by introducing Walk the Talk America cards. You know, mental health. It's okay to talk about. It. We're gonna invite you to ask your your people to check in on their own mental well being, check in on their friends and neighbors, uh, explore alternatives to gun transfers, even if gun transfer laws prohibit it, uh, and say, like, take care of yourself, take care of your your, your family members, take care of your neighbors, simply by doing the right thing, which is maybe, possibly, you don't stage your guns under a pillow. Maybe you put them in a, in a quick access lockbox. Maybe we talk to our, our, our friends and neighbors about the, the propensity to do the wrong thing in, the, in a moment of crisis. We get out in front of it and we say, we're already doing it. We're doing the right thing. We're not. We're not going to suck into the the wagon circling orthodoxy of like pray oh, for my cold dead hands, because that's not working. And when it's not working, somebody else will come in and tell you how to do it so it works. So maybe making an invitation. You know, like we we're we're all about being in the middle. We're all about being deferential. We're all about inviting people in. And and if you don't like the idea, ah, that's fine. I guess you, you get swept up in the sands of time, but. You know, if the, if the firearms industry doesn't move in the 21st century and acknowledge this is a problem, 21st century is going to steamroll them. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a special team in the next room that's going to protect your Second Amendment right if people start turning on you. You know, like I said, you can go to war, you can go to court, you can do all those things. All that costs money, too. Right? <laughs> so if you right. S- it's, it's, if right. You s- yeah. Yeah, if, it, if it's a money issue, like you're gonna spend it one way or another, might as well spend it out out front instead of you know in the back. Um, th- this this conversation turned into a little bit of a uh, of a of a soapbox, I guess. But sort of a huge one. That's it's all right. It's a big it's a big deal though, man. Like I'm yeah. in a profession where people don't want to come get help if they're if they're in if they're cops or if they're firefighters or if they're emergency medicine docs or if they're airline pilots or you know, irrespective of their profession or whether or not they own firearms, they're scared of getting treatment because they think that their job or their livelihood or their, their hobby or their, their personal right to defense is going to be stolen from them. Man, that hurts me. Like, like, like it makes my soul ache that, People don't want to come talk to somebody like me because they think that I am going to somehow send the deputies their door to kick in their front door and take their shit. Like, it, it, first of all, it's not even possible. Secondly, what's the alternative? You're going to suffer in misery. Maybe you don't take your own life, but you're living a life of misery. Right. Like, dude, no. Like, if that's the case, what good is it that you even own firearms if you're living in misery? I'm a gun owner. I, if I'm not happy, I'm not happy shooting. Like, I don't want to be not happy. Go, go get help. And so let's let's help our people get help. Let's let's train our clinicians. That's what our class is doing. You know, I'm going to circle back to this. I don't know how doom saying and you know finger wagging, but that's what that's what our class is doing with Walk Talk America. We're we're training clinicians to be more compassionate and understanding and non-judgmental and and the. The gun owners, we need to we need to demystify what counseling really is. We we need to invite them in and say, "Look, man, just just because you you love shooting a thousand rounds in the desert because that's what gives you relief, doesn't mean that you can't also augment that with professional talk therapy." Like, dude, we just want people to live in peace, and we we are not interested in taking away your hobbies. Your 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 right to self defense. I imagine imagine if this had to do with like 
playing softball or bowling. Like, can you imagine somebody comes in and be like, well, you own a softball bat, huh? That could be used for destruction. Guess we're going to have to send the deputies in and take your softball bats away. Or your bowling ball can be used to, you know, smash somebody's head. Guess we got to take that away from you. No. Are you out of your mind? That'll never happen. Same thing with firearms. Firearms have just been sensationalized, and I'm I'm just I'm just sick of it. I don't think that, especially people in the community, have ever looked at the firearm as anything more than a, a symbol of freedom and protecting their family, which is which is great. But you can look at that and see also a gateway. <coughs> it can be both a gateway for people to get the help they need without fear of consequence. So we have a very we could fight for our Second Amendment rights. This is not mutually exclusive. And we yep. can also just make Earth better at the same time. And I just don't understand why these companies aren't seeing that. I mean, I get it. Like, it's scary. No one's ever done it before. Well, they said that when I when I first made the card to put in the boxes at Bursa. Right. You know, hey, you know, be careful with that. Well, you know, asked a few other companies, Arms Corps, High Point. Uh, I think there's like 14 now. So most of them are smaller, but they all do it. Nothing's happened. Right, right. Yeah, Nothing. they haven't lost any sales. <laughs> right. As a matter of fact, they probably gained sales. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten emails from people that said, I went and specifically bought this firearm because you guys are doing this. Like, that's that's, that's huge. Awesome. I'll, I'll give my personal testimony because we're, we're over an hour now, and uh, i got to take you to the airport. <laughs> but um, my personal testimony is going going to SHOT Show, and stand in the in the WTTA booth and kind of sort of be in the shiny object of, you know, here's the mental health guy. It's amazing to listen to the stories of people who come to our booth, pick up our wristbands or pick up our literature, and they say, you know, oh, hey, oh, mental health. Well, and they take two steps back, and then they take two steps forward, and they're back at the table, and they, they do this dance, and they tiptoe around it, and then, uh, yeah, I was, I was in the I was in the army and I was deployed and uh, damn it if like three of my guys in my own unit didn't kill themselves and eat a bullet. Ah, man, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And then like walk away. It's right. like, why was that so hard to acknowledge? I I don't know, but what I do know is that we're offering an avenue for these people to come forward and say, yeah, damn, this is a problem, right? Like maybe you end up getting more sales by not ignoring it. Maybe you end up making a really, really cool public relations stance by saying, you know, throwing up a billboard and throwing some digital advertising out that says, we are now proud sponsors of Walk the Talk America because we believe mental wellness matters. You know, uh, call, call out the biggest name you know of in, in the firearms industry. What if they did that? How many other people would follow suit? We already have some some pretty significant, strong anecdotal evidence that says that the people who have already done it are getting really good reviews because of my experience at SHOT being there and people like, thank God you guys are doing this. We've needed something like this the whole time. Where have you been? You know, it's like, well, yeah. where have you been? You know, um, I don't know. I, yeah, it's like it, I, 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 I joke around. I know we got to wrap up. But to me, it's like Eminem and 8 Mile. He won because he took it away. He won those rap battles because he took it away from the other right. side. He knew they were going to say those things about him, and he he just cut it off. He used it. I, I want to get the firearms industry. We talk about mental health more than you guys do. Stop. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so. Any of your any of your uh, attackers, your your uh, your your detractors are, are going to say, you know, you, you're you're not you don't care or whatever. You're like, actually, we do, and you and you point to the commitment. Like that would be that would be really awesome, and as we move forward with this and we get more support, which I know we'll get, um, it it disarms people. And if I if I can you know do a, a hat tip to my my good friend and mentor Christian Conti with Yield Theory, like you meet them where they are, you drop the rope and you stop fighting, and and I understand that's frightening to most people. However, that's liberty. When you let people make their choice for themselves, that's real, actual liberty. So the, in, the open invitation is come support what we're doing, fund what we're doing, fund the flights across the country so we can do these classes in person everywhere 
not named Reno in Las Vegas where we happen to live. And you'd probably be surprised that when you acknowledge freedom in the way that we really truly embrace it, which is I'm going to embrace the fear that you may make the wrong decision (laughs) and I will be able to live with it. Usually what happens is people make the right decision because you've allowed them the space to do it. Let's let's not be what, what we despise, which is controlling and arbitrary and political. Let's, let's move into the space of true, actual liberty, education, empowerment, and autonomy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> this is our exit music. <laughs> this is Mike Don't Miss the Plane music. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be a good WTTA Guns and Mailhoff podcast without an awkward An awkward ending. ending. It's usually an awkward beginning, although today was fun. And an awkward ending. Yeah. So, if you're listening and you're motivated, go to WTTA.org. Donate something. Invite somebody to listen to our podcast. Try, try to make a difference, man. Like, it's happening whether you want it to or not. Do you want it to happen from within? Or do you want somebody else to tell you how to do it? On behalf of Mr. Michael Sedini, the Walk Talking Nerd family, Arms Corps, Rob Pincus, who does all the training, and the Zephyr Wellness family, we wish you all great mental wellness. 